the very first word in the second chapter of Romans is therefore. Anytime you see that word, you must think, well, therefore, there must be something before it I have to look at. Chapter 2 of Romans really seems like one continual thought through 29 verses. In fact, the way Paul spoke quite often, I wasn't with periods or commas or exclamation marks. It was one long continual run-on sentence, often packed with a lot of power and theological truths. This is why we're taking the time to dissect this. Uh, I told our staff that this seems to be a, like a more difficult way often to communicate the word of God, but in the long run, it's going to be much healthier for our church. I want you to know that. Paul is now speaking. He has this shift in mind here. In chapter 1 at the very end that I preached last week, remember, Paul was getting on to what? Remember, he spoke against, this is Paul, he talked about homosexuality, then Paul talked about uh, those who had envy, those who had strife, those who were slanderers, those who were gossipers. And he goes on this continual list. And you can almost hear it. Uh, you can almost hear it in Scripture right here. It's almost like those who were self-righteous and arrogant. You can almost hear when Paul is screaming these things out. They're like, yeah, get them, Paul. Get them. Get those sinners. And I love what Paul does because he leaves no room for anybody to think they're free or okay. Listen to what he says now. Therefore, you, yes, the one clapping, you over there doing all this, when I'm talking about them, let's talk about you now. You see the little toes? I just terrified. Uh-oh. Their, their claps probably went from, get them. Tell them what's wrong in this culture, Paul, too. To a golf clap. Went from a GCU clap to a golf clap. <laughs> and now he's speaking to a group of people. I want you to listen to this group of people. Here's what he says. Therefore, you have no excuse. Remember chapter one. Who did he say was without excuse? The Gentiles that had the creation of God, they had no excuse to say there was no God because God had shown it to them. Remember, general revelation. We had immediate revelation. He put it in their hearts. Romans chapter 2, verse 15, their conscience told them that there was a God. And then there's mediate, what he created. So now he's talking to these, this group of people. Therefore, you have no excuse. By the way, this, this word excuse here um, is... Anapolelectos is where we get our word apologetic. Paul is telling them, you, everybody, listen, about to put every single one of you on the same playing field. You have no excuse. You're all guilty. Can you imagine that? Every single one of you are guilty. Why was this so incredibly important? Well, the Jews live like many American Christians today. The Jews felt this way. We are immune to wrath. We're immune to God's sanctification. We're immune to God's um, really judgment on us. We're immune to all of this. Why? Because we're chosen people. What we do really doesn't matter. We're good to go. This is exactly why you see a lot of people today in our world calling themselves Christians but living like atheists. Because they feel like I've said the prayer I'm good to go. He can't ever take it away, right? I can just sin for free anytime I want to because Jesus paid for it. I'm exempt from the consequences. Now, let me just tell you, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. 
You are not exempt from earthly consequences. I want you to hear that. And by the way, I lived this way for a year. When I was a new Christian in college, I just thought, you mean save forever? And it never goes away? So you mean I can sin and it's okay? And I took advantage of God's grace. But what Satan didn't tell me is that my earthly sin will lead to earthly destruction. That's what he forgot to tell me. Left a lot of scars in my life. And so here is Paul saying, listen, you can't just sin because you're a Jew. Just because you're God's chosen. You're God's elect. You are not exempt. And the interesting thing is this, this exact same thought and, and character of God remains true for all of us in here today. Let me just tell you, if you're a Christian in the room today, God is not okaying your sin. God is not justifying your sin. You have to know that. There are consequences. And Paul's calling these people out. Now he says this, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Do you know what the number one thing, when I studied, and what Paul is speaking to, by the way, are moralists? Self-appointed righteous judges. You ever met anybody like that? People who are Christians, but they're moralists, and they think it is their duty to play God here on earth. Do you know the number one reason why people started leaving the church? You want to take a wild guess? Here's the number one reason why. They said Christians were too judgmental and too critical. So therefore, they felt like they couldn't be themselves in the church. And they were hearing on one side of the mouth that the church was saying, confess, Jesus loves you. But when they would confess, they were judging. So now it it left no room for freedom in the confession. Freedom comes through confession in Christ and, and to God. But when the church says, hey, you can confess the sins that are socially acceptable, but don't confess the hard stuff. It made church, which is supposed to be living in freedom through confession, through Jesus, and the church turned into a country club to only certain that meant status quo could be part of the church. Maybe not by our words, by our actions we showed it. We, the universal church. So what Paul is, is doing here is saying, I want you to hear this loud and clear. For those that are self-appointed judges, stop it. In fact, in verse 24, I believe it is, he says, because of you, you hurt the name of God. You hurt the name of God when you do this. Now, if we're thinking about these self-appointed judges, I want us to be, because I want us to be overwhelmingly certain that we don't have any of this residue in our hearts. And I have to be honest, I I was this guy, I often am this guy sometimes if I'm not careful. If you're wondering what's a self-appointed judge, think about the, um, these people are kind of the Simon cows of Christianity. Just uber critical. In fact, I'm going to write down, I'm going to give you 10 things that Paul is speaking to these self-appointed judges, these moralists. And these 10 things I'm going to give you, these are characteristics that you see all throughout Scripture. You ready? Number one, what does this person look like who Paul is talking to, who is saying you condemn yourself? If he is saying you condemn yourself when you do these things, what exactly is he talking about? 
How do we watch out for these people? How do we sure we are not these people? Self-appointed judges, those who are moralists, they're often incredibly critical about everything. Jesus can feed the 5,000. They'll say, yeah, but he didn't feed 6,000. Just constantly looking at what's wrong. You ever met someone like that? Like everything can be fantastic, but they're going to find the one thing that was wrong and they're going to sit and live in that one arena of the one thing. I mean, this, was the, this is a picture of the Pharisees, by the way. Uber critical. Number two, this person often lacks grace. They love to receive grace when they fail, but they, they fail to give it when others need it. They love to receive grace when they fail, but they fail to give it when others need it. This is this, is this group of people here. Number three, this is overwhelmingly true and very unfortunate. These types of people, they have price tags on sins. They believe there really is a hierarchy of sins. These are the people that when someone preaches about homosexuality, they explode. But when you preach about gossip, they put their hands behind their back and they're quiet. The reason why is they think homosexuality hung Jesus on the cross, but their gossip didn't. And let me just tell you, across the entire board that Paul mentions in chapter 1, envy, strife, everything, that put Jesus on the cross, and that cost the exact same thing. There wasn't one extra zero in homosexuality and another less zero in gossip. It all put Jesus on the cross. It was all sin. It all colored the same, red. You understand what I'm saying? It's these kind of people. Probably none of us, but it was them. Nobody in this church, but people in churches that I know. Here's another thing. And listen, if this is you, I went through this with my staff, and my staff was honest, like, oh, man, this, this, some of these are me. I went through this, and it's interesting because I found myself, after I prepared my sermon, I found myself still being this. Like, what am I doing? I want you to be honest with yourself because you're going to see the harm that this actually causes. And by the way, if you were someone who'd been really wounded by the church, even this church or any other church, and you're saying, man, Christians are judgmental, they're hypocritical, I would say, I'm sorry, to some extent, you are 100% correct. But don't throw out the message because of the messengers. Don't throw out the message. We have an unbelievable God who even the best Christian fails to show the love of Christ. And this God is unreal. When I was on my knees over here, I was praying, and I started tearing up. I'm an emotional guy anyway, but I was just thinking, like, I have no reason being the pastor of a church. Not because there's anything in my life right now that I feel like, oh, no, no, no. Because I don't forget where he brought me from. Man, I don't forget it. I don't forget what it was like to live in a two-bedroom trailer in the back of my mom's house with just me and my brother with nothing to eat. I don't forget what it was like when, we, when my father left when I was five years old. I don't, I don't forget what it's like when I, when I went into drugs looking for some, some kind of value in life. I don't forget what that was like when God was chasing and pursuing my heart. And I'd say, not now, God, not now. I'm not done sinning. I, I, I don't forget that. I don't deserve to be up here. I'm not just dripping in his grace and his love and goodness. And so I'm sitting there praying and thinking, God, I don't deserve any of this, God. I'm just thankful to get in heaven. 
but then you want to use me too? And then there was a sister who came up next to me and kneeled and started praying. And you talk about the love of God moving. She was so excited, and I hope it's okay if I share this. I won't give your name. Is it okay? Just give me a nod. They ain't looking. All right. She said, Pastor, look at this coin. I said, oh, that's great. She said, I've been sober for two years. Two years. And she was, she's, on, she's on her knees just thanking God. And she's on, you should see her. She's worshiping. But that is Jesus. That is what God does. It's, it's not the person in the church who says, oh, you got a, you got a sin problem? Have you visited the church down the hall? Have you visited another Bible study? Because we don't know how to deal with that here. No, the love of God is come as you are. Because I promise you, when you walk with Jesus, you won't walk as you were. Come as you are so you won't walk as you were. And that's what he does. So, so when I tell you I apologize if the church has given God a horrible name, let me tell you, um, despite the church, God has still been doing what only God can do. And he will continue doing what only God can do despite the church. That's who God is. It's his character. Now, number four. These types of people who are often negative, self-righteous, and judgmental, they're a recruiter of self-appointed judges. They travel in packs. It may start with a Bible study and end with bashing. I mean, these, these people love to accumulate negative people around them because negativity gives them life. Gives them life while it takes it from others. Once again, all throughout the New Testament, you see these kinds of people. Constantly self-righteous, self-appointed recruiters. These types of people, number five, refuse to repent and call their actions sin. They want to call it anything else but sin. They want to call it venting or a prayer request. You know what I mean? Or they'll often start off by, hey, don't tell anybody or don't say anything, but if anyone ever starts off with the don't say anything, but cut them off. If you don't want me saying anything, you shouldn't be saying anything, so let's not say anything. If it's not lifting up his name, let's not say it. Number six, they gain satisfaction and a sense of significance by the sins of others. They won't say it out loud. But they love to see people fail because it makes them feel so self-righteous and so powerful. They love to gloat on the sins of others because it makes them feel like they are above these kinds of people who fail. Forgetting the price tag that was on their head as well. Number seven, they think they are experts in moral evaluation. As if we're supposed to compare our moral lives to theirs because they have it together. Number eight, which is often pretty funny, they feel a sense of duty to be heaven's gatekeepers. Who can come in? Who can come out? The unfortunate thing is many of people who have a sense of duty to be heaven's gatekeepers won't ever make it to heaven. Number nine, 
they set standards for others they don't set for themselves. They love to set the bar high for others, but they'll never set the bar high for themselves. Number 10, which comes out of Scripture, straight from Scripture, they don't, they don't realize they are blaspheming the name of God. Listen, if you find yourself in this category, let me tell you something. You are a hindrance to the gospel. According to what Scripture says, according to what he says here, because of you, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles. Because of you. Who is Paul talking to? The people with this kind of character. Because of you, God's name is being blasphemed. Stop it. Because of you, this is happening. Now, now we know who Paul's talking about. So what does Paul say about these kinds of people? Let's take a look together. We know who Paul's talking to. We know he's telling them they have no excuse. Uh, the Jews had the law. They were in the synagogue every day. The Gentiles did not have the law. So now God is saying the Gentiles are guilty because they have creation and conscience and still disobey God. You're guilty. The Jews are guilty because you have the law of God and still sin. You're guilty. You're all guilty. Can you imagine hearing that? Like, well, gosh, where's the joy in Christianity? We're just all doomed. We're not done yet. That would be a, a bummer. Oh, man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. So uh, obviously what he is saying when you condemn yourself, what he is saying, you're declaring yourself guilty because of this self-righteous judging. And in fact, when you go further in the chapter, we won't go there today, but he is speaking to hypocrisy. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So here's what we have to understand about these kinds of people. Um, here's what he's going to say. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Listen, let's just sit here for a minute. What he is telling them is although you think you're immune from the judgment of God, you are not immune from the judgment of God. Now, now it's all about how do you want to define the judgment of God and the wrath of God. Right? Some people believe that the judgment of God is present and future. And the wrath of God is present and future. I mean, you experience consequences here on earth, but the wrath of God and the judgment will one day be, I mean, this huge deal where we're separated. Some are acquitted, some are guilty. Then there's this thing, a real thing called heaven and hell. This is why it's so important, and we're about to get into this, but you have to hear this. It's unbelievably important that we understand this. So he's saying, you will not escape. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience and not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So now what were they doing? They were taking God's kindness and his grace for granted. And here's what he tells them here's really what he's saying. Because you are hard-hearted, because you failed to repent, you are storing up wrath for yourself. Then listen to verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. So here's what Paul is saying. On judgment day, each one will be judged by their works. Now let's be very careful. This is where it gets a little sticky. Paul is not saying that you are saved by your works. 
that works leads to salvation. He's saying salvation leads to works. Here's where you put it a little simpler. He's saying stop calling yourself an apple tree if you don't produce apples. How do you know if it's an apple tree? Whether or not it produces apples. So in a Christian sense, he's saying, Christian, stop calling yourself Christian because there are no fruits of the Spirit. And you have to recognize that. It's inevitable to walk with God and not produce fruit. Walking with God naturally produces fruit. So here's what he's telling them. On the day of judgment, yes, we'll be judged according to our works. Absolutely. Our works won't get us into heaven, but what we do matters. Now to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immorality, he will give eternal life. Now here's what I want you to look at. And if you're taking notes, just go to your text and look at this. Verse 1, what does Paul say about these kinds of people? They are without excuse and they condemn themselves. Verse 3, he says they will not escape his judgment. Verse 4 through 5, he's saying they're unrepentant and store up wrath for themselves. Verse 6, he is saying they will be repaid according to their works. In verses 7 through 10, he then begins to talk about the two types of judgments for two types of people. I want you to hear this. Verse 7 to 10. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immorality, he will give eternal life. Now look. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Okay, so what he has just said is eternal life versus wrath. And there are two types of people in this room. What we will all experience, hear me, every single person in this seat, whoever's president when Jesus comes back will experience this too. The most powerful men in the world will experience this too. You either experience eternal life or the wrath of God. This is what he's talking about. On the day of judgment, eternal life or eternal condemnation in hell. That's pretty tough. And he's saying there's two types of people. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and the Greek. Can you imagine the Jews say, whoa, whoa. I thought we were good because we were in the bloodline. Aren't we good? He's saying every single person that has not placed their faith in Jesus Christ and it cannot be proved or can be proved by the fruits that you see in their lives, every single person, you will be judged and you cannot escape it. You cannot escape judgment. Every single person. This is what Paul is wanting to know. So now he's saying the Jew and Greek is putting them all on the same playing field. And this is very important, what he tells them. For God shows no partiality. None. It all goes through his son. None. It all goes through his son. Many of you have experienced this or have done this of your parents. You ever, when your kid is maybe acting up or you've seen this and and normally, this happened to me all the time growing up. I said, Noe, I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, you better do X, Y, Z. And I don't know if I was hard-headed, but I like playing to two and a half. <laughs> I just did. One, like, I ain't doing it. 
to, I ain't doing it. To, shoe, I'm doing it. And then I come before they got to three, before I experienced the wrath, and I just start confessing and telling myself, okay, I did this. Here's why I did it. I'm sorry. The times I didn't confess at two, I felt the wrath at three. When I didn't confess at two, I felt the wrath at three. When I didn't confess at two, I felt the wrath at three. Every single time. Now, Paul gives all of this to them. Says, hey, listen. There's an end date to when he'll come back. And you can almost put an expiration on it. And here's what he says. Look at verse 4. Now close on this. I'm going to land the plane on this. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness, kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Do you know what that is? It's the space he gives us to confess and repent. It's the, you're wrong, one. I want you to acknowledge you're wrong, two. If I get to three, it's going to be too late. If I come back and get to three, it's going to be too late. What, you're, what we're all living in right now is the space God has given us to confess and repent from our sins. This verse is not a license to sin, church. But it's the space to repent. I grew up on this and I still do it. Anybody ever watch Judge Judy or Judge Joe Brown? I don't know why my parents let me sit in front of the TV for hours watching this stuff. But it's in my DNA, so my wife will walk in. She's like, are you watching Judge Judy? I'm like, yes, honey, I need to know how to pray for the sins of the world. I need to know what's going on out there. And, and I love it because those two, those two have this personality and character about them that you've seen Judge Judy, right? Like she ain't letting anything slide. And then when someone starts trying to, but, but, she's like, stop, stop it. And you can even see it sometimes. Sometimes it's like they just get annoyed and frustrated. Because Judge Judy, know, 70 years old, has all the power in her hand. But you're on her, ah, shut it. You can just see the irritation. They're like, she's getting all mad. And it doesn't even matter what they say. And they say, hey, well, can, I, can I call up my mom? Because my mom was just like, no, it's about you. Quiet. And what's interesting is she really does have all the power. It's, it's really, really cute. And they just keep talking, trying to defend their case, and she found them guilty. But the only person in the room that has the gavel is Judge Judy. And it's done. And they walk out, and they're still trying to mouth, and she's like, get them out of here. Right? On the day of judgment, you may not like it. You can come up with excuses all you want. You can even attempt to call your mom or dad in. But only God has the gavel. And what he declares is right is right. Let me urge you, church, the space that God has given you today to repent, 
is because it's his desire that nobody perishes or experiences the wrath. That there will be a hell that you won't be able to escape and a heaven that we'll be able to enjoy. And the answer lies with how you repent and turn. The answer lies whether or not you place your faith in Jesus or not. In fact, it's kind of like this. The mistake that we often make is not living with a sense of urgency because we, have, we think we have the rest of our lives. Every single person in this room has an expiration date on your head that only God knows about. For some, God is saying three. For some, he's saying two. You don't know how much longer you have. But the space he's given you is the space you have to repent. So if you're in this room and you've never turned from your sins and accepted Jesus, do you know what you're hearing now? God's love pursuing you. You're receiving his forbearance, his goodness, and his kindness. That word forbearance means tolerance. That he has been tolerating you until you repent. That's what that word means. He's been tolerating us. Until we recognize we are not the judge, he is. If you're in this room, here's my plea for two people. One, the self-appointed judges, the Christians, please, please, please repent and stop it. You don't have a right to be a self-appointed judge. You are hurting the church and hurting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop and repent and turn. And for the people who have experienced the wrath from those self-appointed judges. Let me just tell you something. There is no man on earth that can give you their value. No word that can be said about you that can take away your value that Jesus has given you. Their word does not de- determine your worth. Christ does. But then there's the last plea I will give you. Coming out of verse 4. If you're in this room and you do not know whether or not you're going to heaven when he comes back and you're uncertain Today is God's kindness reminding you, I'm willing to be patient, and I love you, and I want my love to draw you to me. Will you accept him? Only, only two things will happen, God's wrath and fury and eternal life. Let's pray together.